how are you doing this evening? Maybe we can just bring your voices into the room a little bit and just, we don't need to pass the mic around, but how are you feeling? You can just say, say out loud and I'll, I'll repeat it into the mic so we can all be sure to hear. Frustrated, angry, outrage, very sad, discouraged, hopeless, say again, foregrounded, say, tell me, uh-huh. Foregrounded. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Lost. Unbalanced. Tired and whiny. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Grateful. Yeah. Hip to the game of stirring us up. Mm. You're feeling grounded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes? Curious. Curious. Yeah. So a whole mix. Although a running theme. It's really a tender time, I think, for many. I know for myself, I was in the car a lot today, driving from thing to thing, so every time I got into the car, switched on my radio as quickly as possible, sat in a few parking lots for a few minutes extra before going into where I needed to go, just because... It was hard to not witness um, uh, just the testimony of Christine today and and all uh, feeling like as I was listening to it, knowing a whole um, number of men and women listening to it and feeling the tenderness their own tenderness, their own wounding, uh, trauma, feeling the frustration, the anger, the fear, the unknown, perhaps. Feeling a part of that uh, community of people, which I think is a huge number, feeling moved right now by that testimony, maybe even strongly relating to it. And if not, then uh, strongly empathetic and, and touched. And so I can't give a talk tonight without addressing that. And know that this talk is being recorded and being listened will be listened by people all over the country and beyond um, after this evening. And that uh, I can't not talk about it and have that be part of what we're with tonight, because it is so deeply here. It's thick in the room. I wanted to talk about metta long before today, so it all just kind of comes together. Um, But it seems most important this evening uh, to focus on a theme of metta. A theme of metta means a theme that includes being able to turn towards the dukkha. Dukkha is another Pali word. It means suffering. Being able to turn towards it and somehow find that balance, find that ability to stay with it as much as we can. And for, for everyone here and all those who are listening, that's going to mean different things. 
For some of you, it just means maybe knowing that it's going on, but not being able to turn on that radio or turn on the news because it's, it's too much, it's overwhelming, it's not balancing. That's okay. You're taking care of yourself. You're actually, it's an act of metta towards yourself. For some of you, it's uh, staying with every little detail, uh, listening to every single report, and really being there with it because there's uh, a feeling of importance of being connected in that way. That's also okay. But how do we hold all of this? However you're, you're interacting with it, how do we hold all the emotion, uh, all the maybe some confusion coming in, strong, strong feelings, uh, not just emotions, but also in the body, uh, the thoughts and the mental states that are produced. How does it affect our relationships with other people who may be in agreement with our views or may not be? Um, How do we stay present? In this practice, we're asked to stay right here, but when it really hurts to be right here, how do we stay there? How do we stay with the difficult? How do we stay steady with dukkha? This practice, the whole point is to free ourselves from dukkha, to be free of the suffering. But to do it, we can't deny the suffering. We can't turn away from it. That produces more suffering. So much of uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony today was turning towards that difficult and not denying it. And I think on some level, that's what's touching so much of so many of us today. Over and over again, she was um, uh, told how brave she is, and uh, her courage was really noted. And I think that courage is not just the act of sharing it and being exposed in that way, but being an example for a whole nation that this is the dukkha and we're all needing to face this dukkha together. This path of awakening is about turning towards the suffering, uh, the annoyances, the stress, um, unsatisfactoriness. Dukkha can mean many, many different things. Nowhere in this practice is it about turning away. And so part of what we're doing is being mindful, not just of our breath and of our body sitting here and of each single moment, and, uh, but we're being present and mindful of, of the patterns of dukkha, getting to know it deeply, starting to see the roots of where it's coming from knowing those intimately so that we can start to untangle all of this and uproot these um, these parts of our mind and our heart that have been uh, really imprisoned. One of the ways that we can do this is not just through... Mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't enough. We can't stay present with all this, just with mindfulness. Uh, We need these qualities of the heart to be able to stay with all of this. It's absolutely necessary. Whether it's uh, incredible suffering or even just uh, layers of stress that we're holding. Um, It has to have both. So the metta practice is part of um, a series of practices or a series of cultivations called the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Vihara means uh, the divine abode. These are the divine abodes of the heart and mind. These are states of being. 
that allow us to stay steady with the dukkha. They are cultivated separate from mindfulness often, but they can't be separated in a true practice. They have to be there together. And so metta is kind of the foundation of the Brahma-vihara, this friendliness towards what's coming up. Oftentimes, it's defined as loving-kindness. And that phrase sometimes trips us up because we hear love, and we're not sure well, how, what does that mean. Uh, we can, when we start to wish loving-kindness towards all beings or towards... Um, different mental states or experiences within ourself, uh, that phrase of love starts to feel a little confusing. And so it's important to see that it's loving kindness. It's a, a kindness. It's a friendliness of being. Um, I know a teacher who just says friendness. It's a friendness towards what's arising. It's an openness it's a, a receptiveness. It's a heart that can stay steady with what arises and see what's, what's needed right now. It's gentle. It's tender. When you apply that to your attention, um, it's, it's what gives it uh, life and uh, stability. It's what keeps our mind collected, is this way of being in this metta. The metta practice comes from the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, he didn't talk about it as much as, let's say, concentration, but he did talk about it um, in times where people were really struggling with anger or with fear. He offered it often as an antidote to fear and anger, as a way to um, cool the mind. Metta is water. It's this necessity of life. To survive, we need water. To survive in the spiritual practice, we need metta. And it's this water being poured over uh, the hot flames of, of hatred, of our fear. In fact, um, he offered it to a group of monks who were so afraid to go into this forest because they felt it was enchanted and it had wild animals and bandits and um, they were afraid to go in there, and the Buddha was saying, you must go here and practice. I want you to go in here into the forest, and I want you to sit, and I want you to practice, and don't get up. And they were terrified. Um, they were terrified of things that they actually couldn't see, but they felt were there. I feel like that's much of what our, our, <laughs> our current state of fear is. Um, I, I recently heard a word, a phrase, free-floating fear. I guess this is a, a psychology term. I had never heard it before. Free-floating fear. And free-floating fear is different from, um, say, a direct threat. Like, um, the, I actually I heard it from um, uh, one of those, uh, uh, what is it called? From a pers- perspective, with a perspective program on NPR. So it was a woman who was uh, reading a story on, on um, NPR about how uh, she had actually been diagnosed with cancer and the fear that arose in the doctor's office when she got the diagnosis. But she was able to overcome this fear with her doctor making a plan of what they were going to do for treatment, going through surgeries, and um, actually overcoming um, her cancer. And so there was so much fear that arose with that, but there was something to do with it. You know, there was some way to act against it. And then she gave another example of camping in Alaska with her husband and being awoken in the night by scratching on the outside of the tent. 
And just as what your imaginations are probably going into, she, they unzipped it and there was a grizzly bear outside the tent and they were in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. And so they spent hours, I guess they radioed in for, for um, rescue, but it took hours. And so for hours they were fending off this grizzly bear. And she said, I was sure we were going to die. And the fear was tremendous. But, you know, we were rattling things. Um, my husband finally picked up the tent over his head and growled back at the bear. And that was enough to make the bear disappear into the woods. So free-floating fear is caused by um, experiences that, that we can't just shake a tent at or we can't just make a plan with our doctor. It's the kind of fear that's caused uh, somewhat indirectly, although greatly affecting us in some way. I feel like we're living in this free-floating fear often, or at least uh, many of us are. And the amount of stress and the dukkha that comes with that and so when I reflect on this sutta um, about the Buddha instructing these monks to go into this forest and what they're afraid of are woodland spirits, um, animals they can't see but they can hear in the night, um, the possibility of a robber going through the woods at the same time, but totally invisible. And they're sitting there just with all of this coming up. And there's nothing to do except be with this fear. So when they come to the Buddha with this this fear, asking, please, can we go somewhere else? Or please give us something to conquer this fear, he offers them the metta practice. The metta practice to soothe these free-floating fears, to give some way of responding um, I think also metta gives us strength. When we radiate metta, we are filling ourselves with something that is so opposite from fear and hatred and confusion. There's a, a actual literal feeling of being filled with radiating metta. It's grounding. It feels wholesome and whole. And so I wonder if that is part of what the Buddha had in mind when he offered this to the monks in the woods. A number of years ago, um, I was teaching mindfulness in schools in Oakland, and I was in a school when there was a shooting that happened uh, just on the side of the school. There was a um, like a mini market that shared a wall with the playground and someone had gone into the mini market and and held it up and then ended up shooting uh, the person behind the counter. And so this was during school hours and it was during my time at the school and so we went into what's called a lockdown. So they locked the school down, which means you have to go to your classroom and you stay there knowing that there's a a major threat happening. And you may not, as a student, know what that is, but as an adult, you know what's going on somewhat. So the lockdown was happening, and I was in with a group of third graders whom I'd been teaching mindfulness to for a number of weeks now, and we had done a kindness um, practice together uh, maybe, maybe weeks before. And so I sat down with these third graders, and I asked them, what do you want to do? And they were, we were all sitting in a circle, and they all had their heads down, and they were visibly frightened, of course. And I just imagine the helplessness that a child would feel in a situation like that. So I asked them what they wanted to do. And it was really, really quiet, and then one little girl raised her hand and said, can we wish kindness to the man who was shot? Can we do the kindness practice 
which essentially is a metta practice. I was not expecting that (laughs) as the teacher. I was thinking they would say, let's do some deep breaths or something like that, Um, or, or some other activity that would be fun or distracting. But they, once she said it, they all in agreement that, yes, that's what we want to do. Let's do the kindness practice. So we did kind wishes for the man who was shot, and we did it for uh, the, the school and everyone in the school, wishing everyone protection, wishing them as, as a classroom to feel safe and cared for in that moment. And this was all generated by them, It was so moving and such a lesson in the power of something like metta that when we're feeling helpless, when we are uh, in that free-floating place, when we feel helpless, that something like a metta practice can give us stability and grounding and direction. It gives us strength in some way. So these kids, they they taught me that. So metta is like water. It cools hatred and fear, but it also uh, quenches our thirst for connection and care. And... It allows us to stay in that tenderness, which actually, once we're there and we're comfortable there, uh, is something that's so nourishing to come out of the numbness and into that feeling. To feel connected to our heart and trust our mind again. This is so healing. Metta is healing. It's healing for ourselves. It's healing when it's something we can embody and bring out into our community and into the lives of the people we care about. So... Hmm... I have a lot more to say, but I think I want to make sure we have time to practice and actually debrief this. Um, Let me just read... um, I'm going to read what the Buddha actually says about metta and the practice of metta. And then we'll, we'll go into an experiential um, piece around this. So when listening to a sutta, sometimes it's helpful to just close your eyes and take it in like a meditation itself. And I'll read it slowly. And this is called the Metta Sutta. It says that this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Speaking towards just a simple life. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. 
wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. That's referring to uh, waking up, being free. So a few things that I, I want to tease from this sutta. One is the, the beginning of this sutta is talking about um, a way of life, a way of actually walking in peace that whatever your activity, that it be done with this sense of metta. Whether, um, you know, whoever you're interacting with, um, whatever your actions are, that it somehow be imbued with metta. So this is a practice that comes off the cushion, And the way it comes off the cushion is keeping it in mind and practicing it in this way. But also, the way it's described here is it's really an embodiment. There's nothing uh, uh, about it being some kind of theory to live by necessarily, but more so an embodiment of being, this being of metta. And that this embodiment is... uh, very awake. This is a very advanced and awake embodiment. So to hold that as you reflect on your own embodiments lately, (laughs) that perhaps they haven't met this high, high standard, that this really is a very awake embodiment, but something that we can strive for, something that we can try on and see. And then he goes, the second part is how to practice. How to practice this embodiment and to increase it, uh, cultivate it through this practice of radiating metta. Allowing uh, the embodiment to be the focus of our attention and to have no boundary. To allow it to spread even past the boundaries of our body. And so this is how uh, supposedly the practice of metta was cultivated in practice at the time of the Buddha. Sometimes it's taught in this way here now. Um, Oftentimes it's been taught in this tradition through the recitation of the phrases, may you be happy, may you be well, may you be at ease. And there can be a sense of radiating, but actually that's not the practice that's um, offered at the time of the Buddha. So I'd like us to take us back there to practice this radiating metta 
which I find to be this the type of metta that is stabilizing, is healing. It is what allows us to embody this state of metta as we get off our cushion. So let's, let's just try this on and see what it's like. And I think however you're feeling this evening, uh, whatever the emotions and the mental state, um, just stay right where you are with however you are. There's no need to turn away from it or to make it something else in order to do the metta practice. That's the beauty of this. So sit in a way that's really comfortable. Let yourself be held by the posture. Don't worry about sleepiness or drowsiness for now. In fact, if you do fall asleep, that's great. (laughs) That's probably an act of metta (laughs) towards yourself. It might be just what you're needing. It's that deep, deep rest. And so if we hear snores, we'll be wishing you well. And so bringing your attention inward, however you can. And just notice if there is any tenderness, if there's any fear, hatred. Noticing whatever is there. And we'll just start with a sense of allowing. Allowing is this attitude that is, is steeped in tenderness. That we can allow the fullness of who we are in this moment to be here. Without apology. Without a persona. Being fully here with ourself and all that really makes up this self in this moment. Watching it change, transform, feel stuck, feel numb. Feel open, present, clear, whatever it is. And from this place of tenderness and allowing this openness, and it doesn't have to be this huge opening just like the slightest sense of it, just the slightest sense of, okay, I'm here. And being tender with that. It's from that place that we can begin to tune into the metta, this friendliness, That friendliness, when combined with our mindfulness, our attention, it's just this kind awareness, this friendly witness to what's happening right now. Sometimes it helps to put a hand on the heart and just feel that kindness of touch and presence. 
reminding yourself, especially if you're in fear or some strong emotion, that there's also something stronger and larger present within you that knows how to hold it, knows how to be kind towards it. So this begins to cultivate this metta for self. If that's challenging, you can always bring to mind someone in your life who brings uh, this feeling of, of metta easily to mind. This could be a loved one, it could be a cherished pet. (coughs) Feeling that warmth and friendliness toward the image or towards yourself as you sit here. And if that warmth and friendliness does appear, even in the smallest way, see what it would be like to put your focus on that quality that's in this experience, allowing it to be the focus of your attention. And as you do that, it may just stay very subtle. It might feel small. Just a little kernel or a small flame of metta. That's just fine. Stay with it. Sometimes as we put our attention on that, it expands. I find sometimes as I breathe, it starts to expand with my breath. You can allow that feeling of metta to fill your whole body. The feeling of metta is easeful. It's expansive. There's something very settling about it. It can be really quiet. Or it can feel bright. So whether you're feeling it through the body or just that small flame, imagine what it would be like to remove all boundary and allow it to radiate in front of you in, the, in that direction. It's been described um, by Bhikkhu Inalio, uh, who's a really wonderful teacher and scholar. It's almost like a lantern within. And you're just pulling back the shade in front of you, allowing the light to just naturally shine forward without having to force it trying too hard. Allowing it to shine forward as far as it would, as far as it can.
the phrases do help. You can drop one in. May all beings be at ease. May all beings feel safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be touched by metta. the curtain to be drawn even further, allowing the metta to shine in the front and to the right in these two directions now. This is gentle feeling of warmth and friendliness, kindness. Expanding past the limits of the body. But really feeling the body here. Body doesn't go anywhere, disappear. Can feel it rooted sitting here, expansive. Pulling the curtain a little bit further, allowing for this radiating now in three directions, forward to the right and to the back. May all beings be at ease. beings be well. The mind might get involved in imagining all beings, who they are, what their story is. See if you can come back to the feeling of metta, allowing that to be your focus. And then, so you're not lopsided, we'll pull the curtain a little bit further, radiating now to the left, as well as the front, the right, and the back. Allowing our care move outward. Filling and nourishing us as it moves very gently out beyond the body. going further to include the direction of upward. So 
downward. So that no direction is left out. And again, if the radiating isn't relating, just stay with whatever uh, flame of metta is present for you. Doesn't need to be any particular thing. Just being here with yourself, how you are fully, is a practice of metta. This, if you are doing the radiating practice and it feels like too much is going out, then you might imagine reversing and allowing yourself to just receive the metta of others. You're surrounded by people right now in this state of metta. What is it like to receive Deep breath in and a deep breath out. Let your eyes open slowly. And notice if you are connecting to this metta feeling, notice if you can stay somewhat connected to that, even with your eyes open and can let the body move and shift in whatever way it needs to. I imagine there is a whole range of experience in the room with that meditation, just to normalize that. There's a lot of possibilities with this particular practice. Uh, Sometimes it's expansive and heart-opening, And other times it feels tight and unavailable. And and this is just part of how the practice uh, uh, develops and unravels. So however it was for you, um, it's just fine. But I would like to leave some time for for any questions or comments about, about metta and about the practice. Um, and that's how we'll conclude this evening. So maybe um, if someone's willing to go around with the mic, that way we can all hear and people listening to the recording can hear it too. Thanks, Jaime. It's great. Hi. <laughs> um, this is wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so you you mentioned how meta can be sort of protective of the mind and you trust your mind and, and stuff like that. And so, um, so I have an aunt who suffers from bipolar disorder. So she completely, you know, bipolar one, she completely loses her mind and is hospitalized. Yeah. And, you know, so I guess I'm wondering and talking to her, how do I, you know, and she seems interested in meditation. I think she's done some, but, um, yeah, what do you recommend for her when something, I mean, a biochemical just completely loses it, you know? Yeah, 
You know, in those moments, metta is not her cure. <laughs> you know, it's going to be the therapies and medication and, and what's needed to, to bring her back. And then when she is in that more stable place, uh, then, then doing a metta practice might be a, a really beautiful way to reconnect um, and, and even just you being there in that way is, uh, will have an effect and is, is um, maybe even needed. But when, when she's in the, the manic phase, um, yeah, it's not, it's not her cure. Yeah, I wish it could be. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Anything else? Any questions or comments? Yes, right here. Well, let's go to the other end. What about during depression? Sorry, say again? I said, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. What about during depression? Depression, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I think that for for some, the metta practice can be very powerful uh, to combat depression. And that's not to say that it's also a cure for depression. Um, Sometimes we need more help than that, than just metta. But it can be... Um, it can be uh, really helpful for some to to come back into balance. It's so individual. It's hard for me to just say a, a blanket yes. <laughs> it really depends. But um, I know in times where I've I've struggled with depression, that the metta practice and the Brahma Vihara practices have been really powerful. I think um, in terms of just feeling weighted down by dukkha, those places where we just feel the weight of suffering, um, that the Brahma Viharas uh, can somehow um, kind of lift the veil of all that heaviness and allow us to see something other than the dukkha the larger spectrum of life. When we are really sunk down in the suffering, it's hard to see anything else. And I think the Brahma Viharas offer a possibility of opening to um, the fuller truth, which is that life isn't just suffering. That was never uh, the teachings, too. Sometimes we get this um, wrong idea in the teachings that... uh, the Buddha just talked about life is suffering. Life has suffering. That is true. But it's not the only thing. Uh, and so maybe the Brahma Viharas can be a pathway towards that, that understanding and help with uh, these more depressed states that we can find ourselves in. So I really enjoyed the practice that we just did and felt very expansive. Um, Then I could also feel a limit. Like I was imagining a lot of um, loving kindness in thinking about Dr. Ford. And that was very easy to do. But the more challenging piece is expanding that to the opposition and those that are causing the suffering. And I felt a little opening there, but you know how it's so challenging. It is it's so just hard. so challenging. So yes. What can you share? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is why it is a practice, and it's important that we take our time with it. That we're not forcing this. You know, I must feel meta for all beings. Um, that will bring agitation and aversion to the mind, uh, which is really the opposite of what we're going for. So it has to be in its own time. 
Um, it takes a lot of practice. Um, it might take other practices like forgiveness practice, um, compassion practice. So it may need other things as well. Um, Metta, one of the ways Metta is described is uh, like a cool rain that uh, just like the rain coming out of the clouds doesn't discriminate. And um, sometimes that helps me to think of it in that way, just the ease of rain falling out of the, the clouds that it's not mine even, you know. Somehow... It's not that personal in a way. Um, Sometimes that works for me. Other times it's just not time to open in that way. This practice, you know, there's so much um, about it that is uh, opening, allowing, um, being mindful, watching. But it's not saying we need to become doormats to ill will, to uh, people uh, who are, are, are harmful. It's, it's not at all. In fact, this is a practice of, of peace, kindness, and compassion, and it's uh, really fighting against um, uh, hatred, delusion, and greed. It is the antidote, and it is... Um, the force <laughs> that is against that. And so it's not about just like, everything's okay. <laughs> that is not what this is about. And so we, we have to be careful and conscious of that when practicing in this way, that we're in alignment with that, that the metta that is radiating, it's radiating to all beings because it is a force to overcome that greed, hatred, and delusion. Yeah. Okay. So that we, we do need to end. But thank you so much for your attention. This was, I was really excited to come and sit. I wasn't that excited to come give a talk tonight. Because <laughs> I was feeling really tender from today. So I just really appreciate um, all of you being here in your tenderness and um, sharing this evening with me. All right, so we'll dedicate the merit of this evening, which, like I said before, is uh, a time for us to just acknowledge that us being together in this way is part of that force. However we're feeling, connected, disconnected, um, we could have done other things with our evening tonight, and this is a very wholesome one. And it has ripple effects that go out into the world. I really, truly believe that. It has ripple effects that you know, go out into the people are, uh, that we're closest with. We affect them in a certain way when we've been practicing. It goes out to um, the people we interact with and into our communities. And then it goes even further in ways that I feel like we don't really understand. And so when we dedicate the merit to all beings, it's in that, um, it's in this way of rippling out. May all beings everywhere, may they all be touched with metta. May they be happy and content. May they be safe from inner and outer harm. May they be healthy in their minds and in their bodies. May they be at ease. And may all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.